So guys, I have bad news for you. It's time for that once a year workout. Last week, we had our first official day of summer, which means we are now in beach season. Uh, I know that we live in Florida. Every season is beach season, but now it counts. And so if you're like me and you've been pushing this off as long as possible, it's here. It's time to wear bathing suits. Yay. So you can make use of those awesome, you're going to find your own kid to do it with, but you can make use of those awesome exercises uh, in order to try and get ready for beach season. I hate working out, getting ready for beach season. Do not like it at all because I don't get that workout high or that runner's high that everybody talks about. And so I just keep pushing it off. My wife, on the other hand, absolutely loves working out, particularly she likes running. So last week, she gets up, uh, it's Monday, she got up at like five o'clock in the morning, went out to meet some people, went running at 6 a.m. in a circle. She didn't even go anywhere, just around in a circle, comes home, and she looks like she's had the best time of her life. She's just excited and happy to go, and it's time for her day. I'm like, what did you do? I ran, yay, no. And I even, I got lucky. About a month ago, I hurt my back pretty badly, and so I've even had an excuse not to work out. My back is feeling better, unfortunately. And so now, now I don't have my excuse anymore. Now I need to go and probably try and be healthy, at least a little bit healthy so that I can keep up with my kids. I don't care so much about the beach thing because I don't like the beach, but I need to be able to keep up with my kids. And so if you're anything like me, you look for those excuses to stay away from the things you don't really want to do, even if you know you should do them. We're in a season called Anchored. We've been looking at how we stay strong, stay firm, stay safe in the storms of life. And sometimes those things we know that we need to do, we avoid them at all costs. We look for another way to go. We hide, we run, we look for excuses. We do everything we can to avoid doing the thing we know that we should do to weather the storm. And the stuff that we do instead oftentimes gets us off track. And so this series has been fantastic. We've been looking at what our anchor is, or really who our anchor is. And so for the last few weeks, we've been looking at our anchor, Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews just layers one level on top of another level, on top of another level of this beautiful theological discussion as to why Jesus is our anchor, why we can trust in him, who he is, and what he did. So that's what we've been digging into. Because here's the thing. When we're trying to anchor ourselves, we anchor ourselves to stuff that doesn't stay still, right? We might anchor ourselves to things we really think are going to make it for the long haul, things like our finances, right? We work really hard to put away a nest egg and to build up for retirement and to have the right funds and, and the right money in the bank and just that perfect number to get to stop having to work anymore. Or we put our trust and our anchor into things like friendships and relationships. And sometimes if you're like me, it's weird, but you anchor yourself to yourself because you're self-reliant and you're sure you can do everything just right and it'll all work out just fine. But what we've looked at over the series is that every one of those things is temporary because we live in a broken world. We're broken. And so those relationships that we really thought were going to make it the long haul, something happens, it gets sticky. A friendship turns around when we didn't expect it, and all of a sudden that person isn't there anymore when we really need them. Or our finances, we hit that perfect number, it's time to retire in two years, and the market tanks. 
And now how in the world do I get to stop working in two years when now I'm going to work five or 10 or 15 more years just to be able to put food on the table? Or you wipe out a bank account in order to pay for a hospital bill that you weren't expecting to have to deal with. And now how are you going to make rent next month? Because you thought you had this nest egg all ready to go, this safety net, this anchor that disappeared. So the anchors that we try to put ourselves against, they're temporary. They're not all that strong. The writer of Hebrews says you need to get your eyes off of those things and look to Jesus because Jesus is this perfect, the only perfect anchor. So they talk about the fact that we have security in Jesus, that he secures us not here, not just here on earth, but for eternity, that my eternal salvation has nothing to do with me, which I am very grateful for because I will mess it up, guaranteed. But Jesus is the one who guarantees my salvation. And so if I make the choice to follow him, then I know I am secure in him no matter what. We have a new identity in Jesus. We talked about this last week, that most of the time our identity is wrapped up in who we are and what we've done and sometimes what we haven't done or maybe what we don't do well. People know us in a certain way and Jesus walks into the situation and says, you know what, your identity is in me. It's in Jesus, not in anything that has to do with me and it's in what he says about me, not what other people say about me. And so my identity is safe with Jesus. And so we've been spending three weeks now, I think, nine and a half chapters in Hebrews looking at this anchor that the author says, this is who you tie yourself to. This is what's gonna get you through the storm. And then today in Hebrews chapter 10, the author takes a shift and they go from theory to action. They say, so now we've talked about who Jesus is, what he did, why you can rely on him. Now it's time for us to look at what we do to stay strong with our anchor through the storms of life. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, And if you're using your phone, switch over to the NIV version. If not, we'll have everything up on the screen. Um, But today, we get to move into action. We get to put some motion behind what we've been looking at. So in Hebrews chapter 10, and what's really cool about this section that we're going to read, verses 19 through 25 is what we're going to be, is in the original language in the Greek, this is all one big sentence. So the things we're going to be looking at today, they all tie together, and they all work with each other. So we're looking at three verbs one subject, and they all tie in together to show us how we use Jesus as our anchor. So in verse 19, we read, therefore, brothers and sisters. Now, when you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to stop for a second. This is ridiculously cheesy, but I learned this as a kid, and now you get to learn it. When you see a therefore in the Bible, the therefore is there for a reason. Grown, it's okay. Like, it's really bad, but that's what I grew up with, so... The therefore is there for a reason. So you need to stop when you see a therefore in the Bible. And you need to go back and look at what came just before it because it gives you context. It tells you, okay, what have we just talked about that now we're gonna do something with? Because most of the time, a therefore is a shift in the conversation. It's a change in perspective, a slight change in what we're getting ready to talk about. Uh, Now, if you haven't been with us for the past three weeks, that's not like a spoiler alert. You don't get to shut down at this point. You have to at least pretend to listen to me. Um, I can't see you all that well, so I won't really notice if you fall asleep, but um, you won't ruin anything by sticking with me this morning. But do go back and check out the last couple of weeks on the podcast, or at least go back and read the last several chapters to kind of get some context. 
So, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now, if you have been us for the last three weeks, you're going, okay, this is repetitive. We have talked about this over and over and over again. Why are we sitting here on this point? And it's because it's so unbelievably important. And the author isn't trying to be repetitive. They're not trying to rehash stuff they were talking about. They're trying to make sure we are all on the same page before we move forward into what we do with it. And remember the audience that the author is writing to. They were Jews who chose to follow Jesus. They became Christians. So they have this background that the writer is trying to move them out of into something new with Jesus. And so this idea of being able to enter with confidence the most holy place, which would have been the presence of God. So for the Jews that the author is writing to, this, is, this isn't something you get to do. Right? So they had regular sacrifices all the time that allowed them to cover over their sins before God. And then one time a year, one guy got to go into the most holy place in the temple where the presence of God existed And they got to go before God and offer a single sacrifice for all the sins of Israel from the previous year. And it covered it all over so that they could start fresh with God in the new year. One guy, one time a year, gets to enter the presence of God. Everybody else goes through the priest to be able to do that. They don't get direct access to God. The list of people who get to go to God and spend time in his presence is very, very small. And the time they get to spend with God is even smaller. And the author says, so that's the way it used to be. But then Jesus came along and shook everything up. Jesus came, offered this perfect single sacrifice. And because what he did on the cross and the fact that he came back from the dead means that all of us get constant access to God. Do you get how big this is? Do you get how amazing it is that we get to enter the divine presence of our creator whenever we want, with whatever we want? And so the author wants to make sure we are all very clear on this fact that we get to enter the presence of God all the time. We get this beautiful, amazing privilege that we tend as Christ followers to take for granted that we get to spend time with our God. But it's so important that the author wants to make sure we are all there before we see what we do next, because that's what allows us to do the next thing. See, the sacrifice that Jesus made gives us confidence to be able to approach our God. In verse 22, this is what we do with this. So let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So the very first thing we are supposed to do in the storms of life when things get tough is draw near to God. Now, this seems to make a lot of sense, but what's our reality? Why would the author even put this into the letter? It's because when things go sideways, our first reaction isn't to get close to God. We drift away. Because a lot of times getting close to God means we need to look at ourselves. What happened that put us on the wrong path? Sometimes they're just situations. Sometimes it's decisions we made. Sometimes we know I need to do something. And if I get close to God, I have to admit that I need to do that thing. 
And so our initial reaction is to back away and to drift. But what the author wants us to know is that through any hard time in our lives, the thing to do first is to get close to our anchor, not drift away. The very first thing we do is to get close to our anchor. Because if we drift away, it's like the anchor isn't even there. If you're on a boat and you just let out that chain, you let out that line and the anchor is somewhere way in the distance and a storm comes through, it's basically like you don't have an anchor. The storm tosses you all over the place, wind and waves, and you are pushed everywhere because there's nothing holding you still to the anchor. And so you have to get closer, pull up that slack, have it there to hold you still. So the author says, draw close and do it because you have the privilege to do it. And the author even gives us some handles. This is how you do this. You draw close to God with a sincere heart. So God isn't interested in our lip service. God isn't interested in us just coming up and checking off the list of, I did this, I said this, this is the thing I was supposed to pray, this were the words I was supposed to say, and now I'm good to go and I'm close to God. Because that's not all that sincere most of the time. And again, the audience that the author is writing to would have been very used to that. It was check off just the right kind of sacrifice given at just the right time, saying just the right words to just the right people, and me and God are okay. And God says, that's not what I want. That's never what I intended. God wants sincere hearts, which is really what he's looking for, is a genuine relationship with his kids. Our father just wants a real relationship with us. And all that that entails, the emotions, the frustrations, he's not afraid of any of that. And so when we draw close to him, we come with everything that's on our heart and say, God, this is it. And I wanna do this the right way. And I wanna be with you, step with you in the right path, in the right direction. Help me with this. And God says, okay, you're gonna draw near. I can help you through with that stuff, but you gotta get close first. So we draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. So a very quick word about faith. And I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this because next week we get to one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, which is all about faith and how it transforms our lives. And so next week is gonna be a lot of fun. I don't wanna spend a lot of time on this, but I do wanna say this. In our society, when we talk about faith, especially in the context of, of God and religion, we have this idea and there's this, there's this underlying notion that Faith means this blind leap into something we don't have a grasp on. We can't understand, we don't know. It's just, I have faith in this, I just have to believe it. Okay, I'm here. But that's not the reality of godly biblical faith. And here's why. And here's what the author is leaning into. The full assurance of faith means perfect trust in what you're putting your faith in. And in this Bible, we have this history of the God that we serve. And not once in this history does God fall short. Not a single time. For thousands and thousands of years of recorded history with his people, he never once falls short. He never once breaks a promise. He never once does something that he says he won't do or misses out on something he says he will do. 
And he gave up everything to make sure we could have a relationship with him. That's the God we're putting our trust in, our faith in. And so when we say we have faith in God, it's not, I just kind of believe because I'm supposed to believe and I was told I had faith, so that's what it is. We're trusting in someone with a perfect track record. We all have this number that follows us around every day. It just kind of sits over our shoulder. It's called a credit score. No one likes a credit score because it just sits here. And whenever we want to do something financial, somebody looks at it and looks at our entire financial history based on those little numbers and says, okay, sure, you want to buy a house? I'll be happy to lend you some money. And sure, you want to buy a car? I'll be happy to help you with that. But that number isn't quite what it should be, and that's who you are financially, and so it's going to come with a little bit of baggage. Now, we work very hard to make that number as high as we can get it, and we do our best to pay off bills, and we do our best to pay off credit card debt, and to not get into things we shouldn't. And little by little by little, that number creeps up, and it creeps up, and yay, I can finally get my first credit card, and yes, I can finally get that loan that I need. And then we make one little misstep financially, or maybe it's a big misstep financially, but what happens is that number drops off in a heartbeat. If you've ever gotten into any financial difficulty, you know how quickly that number drops and then it stays down for a long time and it's very, very hard to bring it back up. Now, I know some people with really good, really good credit scores. I don't know anybody with a perfect credit score. I asked the first service and it worked, so I'll try again. Does anybody know anybody with a perfect credit score? Oh, thank goodness. Okay. All of us have something in our past. Everybody has something in their past that has brought it down, even just a couple of notches. God has a perfect credit score. And you don't even have to look at this to have to know it. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a history with God. It might be months old. It might be years old. It might be decades old. But you have some history with God. And if you stop and look back at it, I guarantee he's never the one coming up short. I do it all the time. But I'm the one that comes up short. I'm the one that misses out. I'm the one that breaks a promise. Never once has God failed me. This is the God that the writer says, draw near to, and you can put your trust in him because he's never once failed. So draw close to God. And then we get to kind of the central point here. So as we draw close, verse 23, and now let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And so drawing close allows us to hold fast to what God has promised us. And this is really important because the further we are away, the harder it is for us to hold on to that promise. And it is extremely difficult to remember the good things that God has told us and the promises that he has made for us when we are in the middle of a storm. 
And so we need to draw close and then hold on to what he's promised because he is faithful, because we know he's gonna come up strong on his end, we are able to do this. My wife and I adopted a son five years ago, our first child. And when we got into the process, it was an international adoption, and we were told, look, this is a long process. You're gonna be doing this for several years, at a minimum two and probably more. And so you've got plenty of time to get everything into place, to get all your documents together, to get all the money together, because unfortunately, international adoptions are long and extremely expensive. And so we prayed about this and we prayed about it, and Carla and I both said, you know what, this is what we're supposed to do. This is how we're supposed to start our family. So let's begin the process. And we begin things with the adoption agency. And in no time at all, we get a call. It's, hey, there's this kid and he's ready to come home and everything's ready at the adoption agency and everything's ready at his orphanage. Are you guys ready to start the process? And we said, yeah, I think we can do this. It's gonna be okay. And they said, that's great. You're just getting things started. You still have plenty of time. And so we signed the papers and we begin raising some money And then within weeks, literally weeks of that phone call, we get a second phone call and it's, by the way, he's going to be home in nine months. And you've got to find a way to raise $40,000 in nine months on your own. And then you can have your son. And in the middle of us trying to make that happen, it was sometimes very hard to remember what God had told us at the beginning. In the midst of trying to get paperwork through, dealing with multiple government agencies, dealing with international agencies, dealing with the government over in the Congo, dealing with financial situations, it was so easy to lose sight of the hope and the promise that God had said, this is what you're supposed to do. But time and time and time again, Every single deadline was met on time or early. And I still don't know how those finances worked out, but they did because God is the one who was faithful. It didn't depend on me. It depended on my wife. It didn't depend on the ridiculous number of people who loved us enough to walk this journey with us, many of whom are in this room. It was all on God. Guys, you might be in the middle of one of the darkest moments of your life and trying to remember what God said is tough, but let me promise you this. What God said in the day is still true in the night. What God promised you when it was sunny and warm and the seas are calm and there is nothing going on is still just as true in the midst of the darkest day you can possibly imagine. His promise is still true just as real. We might not see it. It might not be exactly what we thought it was going to be. It might not be in our time frame, but that promise from God is still real. And it is still real when he gets us out on the other side. What God said in the day is still true in the night. And when it all comes down to it, what the author is really pointing at here is our eternal salvation. That in our darkest moments, when we mess up more than we thought possible, when we misstep, when we get into the depths of the stuff we knew we would never do again, God says, I made this promise. 
And you will come out on the other side when you draw close to me and you hold on tight to this promise because your salvation is on me. It's not on you. And so what he promised us in those bright times is still true in the midst of the storm. So we draw close to God and we hold on tight to what he's promised. But the author isn't done yet. And I mentioned at the very beginning that there are these three ideas that are all tied together in this single sentence. And this is the one that I'll be very honest, I didn't want to tie into the rest of them. And I'll tell you why in a second. But verse 24 and 25 say, so now let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. See, what was going on was as persecution ramps up, Rome is stepping in and they've decided, look, Christianity is not good for business. It's killing commerce. It's breaking down our communities. They're no longer in with all of our religion. And where once Rome was like, you know what? You can kind of do whatever you want as long as you keep on your own. Christianity was taking off like wildfire. People everywhere were saying, oh, that Jesus guy, I need to know more about that. I want to follow this. Look what's going on over here. I need to be part of this. And everything in Rome was changing. And Rome said, okay, we can't have that anymore. So they begin locking down on the Christian followers. So you gather with a whole bunch of Christ followers on a Sunday morning, and then you look at somebody the wrong way midweek, and they make a phone call to Rome and say, hey, there's this guy in my town, and you need to come check him out. And the next thing you know, people are being arrested and separated from friends and family tortured and killed because of the company they're choosing to keep on a Sunday. And so people are like, I I don't need this. Me and God, we'll get close to each other. We're good to go. I don't need the part that gets me in trouble. And even without that, they were losing their community. Their friends and their families who weren't coming along for the ride said, look, you do what you want with that. But as soon as you choose to follow Jesus, you're done with this side of things. Because again, for thousands of years, Things were done a very certain way in the Jewish culture. And as people stepped away from that, they were like, you you just need to do your own thing. And they lost the ability to have their families. They lost the ability to be part of their community. They were giving up their livelihoods to follow Jesus. And so people were choosing to step away from the community side of it and just do this Christianity thing on their own and follow Jesus as best as they could. So the author says, look, you can't, Do one without the other. You draw close to God, you hold fast, and you cultivate relationships that help you do all of that. See, the author knows how tough it can be in the storm, how it can be really, really hard to remember what God said. And so the author says, you need to build these relationships and invest in other people, and this is the tough part for me, and allow them to invest in you so that you can continue to stay firm with your anchor. See, I don't like admitting that I need help. I like being self-reliant. I like figuring things out on my own and saying, you know what, I don't want to be in debt to anybody. I don't want to deal with anybody else asking me for favors later. I really want to know that I can do this. And so for me, I'm just going to go ahead and figure it out. And as my wife will tell you, when things go sideways, I kind of shut down in order to try and figure it out. I'm an introvert that way, but what happens is instead of just 
getting somewhere quiet and talking to God and figuring this out and then coming back out, I seclude myself. And I get to the point where I just don't want to be around anybody until I get myself out of this storm. And then I lose sight of where I'm supposed to be going. And then I drift. And then I get further away from my anchor. And the next thing you know, I've forgotten what God told me is true. And so in our storms, we need people by our side. I guarantee you have had a point in your life, in your journey, where you have needed somebody to walk with you. Because the encouragement that we need, the life-breathing words that we need in our lives can't happen when we decide to cut off everybody else. And so the author says, look, you do. You need to draw close to God. You need to hold fast to what he's promised you, but you don't do it alone. You don't draw close to God at the cost of the rest of your relationships. You need to be close to people as well. And if you have spent any time here at Epic, you know how important we think this is. Authentic community, real relationships with each other is how we do this well. When we're on our own, we drift all over the place. But when we are with each other and we have each other's backs and we support each other and we invest into each other, then we can weather the storms. So we draw near to God because Jesus made it possible to do that. He paid an unbelievable price just so we could have access to God, just so that we could go spend time in his presence, so that we could spend eternity in a relationship with our Father. So we draw near. We hold on to the hope that we have in our lives because God, who has a perfect track record, says we can do it. He's the faithful one, and so we can hold on to our hope because he makes that possible. And finally, we consider other people. We need to build relationships in our lives with other Christ followers who are gonna help us to stand firm, who are gonna help keep us close to our anchor when things get tough, who are gonna remind us of the things we need to be reminded of, and we need to do the same for them because this isn't a single-player sport. This is a team event, and we do all of this together. Now, in just a second, the worship team is going to come out. We're going to sing a final song called I Will Look Up. And it's about this idea that we look up to God who is above everything else and we can trust in him when everything else fails. And as we sing this song together, I want to encourage you to take just a minute and ask God, which of these three things do I need to work on right now? Drawing close, holding fast, considering others. What's the thing holding me back right now? What's the thing keeping me further away that's making me drift? How can I improve in this part of my relationship? And so spend a couple of moments asking God about that. And this week, do something to take a next step in that part of your relationship with God. So let's stand up, we'll pray together, and then we'll sing this final song. Father God, I am constantly amazed at the privilege we have to come before you. You are the creator of the universe. You are our almighty God. And we're allowed to come and just talk with you. 
We're allowed to get close, to spend time in your presence, to know that you are there for us. And God, I can't tell you what that means to me. Father, thank you for the privilege. Thank you for being willing to make the sacrifice for us so that we could do this. Thank you for the hope that we have to hold on to. Knowing that we are secure because of you, knowing, Father God, that you make promises and you keep those promises as long as we hold on tight, as long as we draw close, as long as we are with you. God, that you are always faithful. And God, thank you for the community that we are part of, for this family right here, the people around us, Father God, who love us, who love you. Thank you that we can lean on each other, that we can support each other, we can invest in each other. Thank you, God, that you put this group of people together for a reason. And thank you, Father God, that we can share this, that it doesn't stay inside of these four walls. But God, that we can step out into our community and share the fact that we serve a God who's there no matter what, who has gotten us through things we would never get through otherwise, and who surrounds us with people who help us do it. So Father, let us lean into you. Speak to our hearts and God, don't let us walk out of here unchanged. In Jesus' name, amen.